today in the book of James, the book of James, chapter 3 is where we'll be, chapter 3. Today we're going to look at this chapter, it may be one that's familiar to you, I know one of our Sunday school classes has gone through the book of James pretty recently, and uh, but I think we'll look at this chapter and just ask the question about how powerful are our words. Now, I'm not talking about this kind of uh, what I would say is a, is a wrong-headed, unbiblical idea about, you know, speaking things into existence. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but how much do the things that we say determine and or reveal where we are in life and where we're headed? Think about it. The words of a speech are generally the measure that most of us use to decide who we're going to vote for for political office, right? That's the only way we know what, the, what at least what they say they're going to do, right? A wrong word from a government leader or like a CEO of a corporation, it can make the, the prices of a stock of a company sink. A word placed rightly or wrongly can change the outcome of a job interview. Words have the power to injure, to inspire. They have the power to direct our lives, and they have the power to destroy our lives. And I think we're going to see in this text today that they have the power to disclose the truth about our inner life, who we really are. And so I want to look at this text in James 3, and I think here what we're going to see, we'll see a word here for teachers of the word. We'll see a word about words themselves, uh, or the tongue anyways, and then we'll see finally a word on wisdom. We're going to run through this chapter tonight, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to just begin by reading the first five verses of this chapter. There, there in the book of James, chapter 3, the Bible says, My brethren, let not many of you be, become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So he begins in the first couple verses talking about teachers. Within the context of the life of the church, uh, that he's talking to pastors, preachers, the, those who have the responsibility at whatever level of teaching the Word to others. And the, the Word that James has to say to, to those who would do that or those who might even aspire to do that is that teaching the Word of God is not for everyone. Now, you say, well, we have a responsibility to disciple others. Yes, I believe here he's really talking about the more formalized teaching of God's Word, probably aimed most likely at the, the leadership of the church most likely. But he says that teaching the Word of God is not for everyone, and, and he gives us a reason why. He says that we shall receive a stricter judgment. The idea here, actually, if you kind of look at those words, is a mega judgment. That, that in fact, elsewhere in the New Testament, we'll find that... that uh, it's spoken about that pastors are going to stand to account for those who sat under them, those who they shepherded. 
right? And that's a, that's a tall order. It's, it's something I think I always jokingly say, kind of, but not really when I come to those passages. Like, I'm going to have to be accountable for you all, and I don't know how I feel about that, right? And, 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 but that's, that's the responsibility of the teacher, the pastor of the Word of God, the elder, the leader of the church, and that's why in Hebrews, and this is the verse I was referencing, in Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says this, speaking to the church again, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so the, the author of the Hebrews is saying that make it where the, the person, your pastors, your teachers, your leaders that have to stand to account for you, that when they stand to account, that will be a joyful thing for them and not a grief-filled thing. It says teaching is a, it's a high standard in the church. And so we should always make sure that we're, that we're holding, holding me, you're holding me, and, and I'm holding you if you have responsibility to teach in, in some level, that we're all holding each other accountable to uh, strictly... Uh, to the biblical text and to what the Word of God has to say. So we have that word there for teachers, but then he jumps in pretty immediately to this, uh, this wisdom about words. And it's important, I think, that we understand that nobody, nobody goes, th- goes probably through a day, let alone through their life, without sinning with their words. That's what he says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. We all sin. But we all sin especially in the way that we speak. We sin in the, in the, in the way we talk to people, the way we talk about people, in the things that we say. And he's saying that this is, this is part of the human experience. It is an extreme difficulty for us to control our words. But we're commanded to do it. We're told, in fact, to take captive every thought to the Word of God. He says that he gives all of these examples, right? And it's talking about how your words can be the thing that, de- that determine your path, right? The things you say will, be, will be, be things that can direct you. He uses the picture of a horse. Now, if you kind of look it up, and some of y'all that know more about horses than me may want to correct me, but... Horses can range anywhere from about 700 to over 2,000 pounds. Some of them great big horses that they can weigh a lot. But a bit that you put in a horse's mouth weighs, you know, about a pound or maybe a little more at the most on one of those big horses. Just great big animal, little bitty bit that goes in their mouth, and yet it can turn the horse once it's broken, right, to a bit, it can turn that horse wherever you want it to go. He speaks about ships and this idea of of the rudder turning a ship. An aircraft carrier, the average aircraft carrier has two rudders. Each rudder weighs about 50 tons, and we say, well, that's not a small rudder. Well, it's a small rudder when you realize that each ship weighs about 106,000 tons, at least. And so, he can... He can turn, which is something that's just a fraction of the size, the whole ship, it directs whichever way the ship might go. And so the, as, the, as the captain of the ship can turn, or the, the rider on the horse can turn with just this small thing and direct the path of these, this great animal or this great ship, so it is true, James is telling us, 
that the tongue, even though it's a small part of our body, can have a great impact. It can, in fact, be leveraged to improve our lives and glorify God or to destroy our lives and dishonor God. Words can, in fact, destroy lives. That's what the next section really tells us. If you start, and I'll start again in verse 5, but he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is, un, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God, our God, and our, our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So he says, first of all, that the, the tongue, the word, your words, your tongue can destroy life. It's a, it's a fire. It just takes one little match to start a great forest fire that consumes thousands upon thousands of acres, damages homes, takes people's lives. Just one little spark can start a fire that large. This is the truth about the tongue. If you've never been in a situation where just a, you said the wrong word or two and it caused you a mountain of trouble, then I don't know that you've been living in this world very long. Because most of us have been there. He describes the tongue, I love it, as a world of iniquity. It means that the tongue has a great capacity for sin. We really can sin greatly with our mouth. Johnny Hunt said this once, No other part of our body has the capacity for destruction that the tongue has. I don't think that we keep that in mind when we begin to say something to someone. When we, can, do we consider our words with this in mind? That the things that I say can cause harm to others, it can cause harm to myself, and most importantly, it can cause harm to my testimony before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a world of iniquity. He goes on to say that the tongue is in a position that it can defile the whole body. It's uniquely placed to bring chaos to every situation. He says it sets on fire the course of nature. And basically what James is telling us, he says your tongue will burn your whole, your whole life down. I think about some of these times through years past in election cycles where you know somebody looked like they were in contention and then they said something just ridiculous. And then the next thing you know, they kind of disappear from the scene. Or some of these sports announcers that get wound up and say something stupid on the radio or they say something stupid on, uh, on a sports broadcast and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they don't have a job. Right? We, we see this, that our tongue can get away from us. It can cause us great problems. Someone once told John Wesley this, Speaking my mind is my talent. John Wesley replied, That is a talent the Lord would not mind if you buried. 
And I think he's right. People say, well, I'm just blunt, I'm just this, I'm just that. We can't claim sin as a personality trait. Oh, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I talk. That's just the way I deal with people. No, it's, it's either sin or it's not sin. We've got to consider that my words are a reflection of who I am, and most importantly, they're a reflection of Christ if I call myself a Christian. And so I need to speak in a manner that is seeking to bring, bring, bring glory to God at all times. He goes on to say that the tongue is untamable. It's really untamable. It's poisonous. All beasts have been tamed. I mean, I've seen, I've seen snakes be charmed. I've seen guys ride around on the backs of tigers. I've seen all kinds of things like that. When I was a little boy, I once rode on the back of an elephant at a circus, and I thought I was the coolest guy that ever lived. Right? We can tame just about any creature that there is. But the tongue... To tame the tongue is beyond human capacity. Now we must understand that just because James is doubling down and over and over and over again saying, you can't handle your own tongue, you can't handle your tongue, it's, it's going to cause you problems. And he's saying this just ad nauseum. We need to make sure that we understand that he's not saying, well, just give up because it's not possible. That's not what James is saying. He's letting us know the danger of our own tongue so that we recognize that the only way that we can live in a way that pleases God is to depend on Him even down to the very words that come out of our mouth. We need to filter our words through the, uh, through the great filter of what God has said and what God would have us to say and do. The tongue is untamable, poisonous. But with God, it can be glorifying. It can be uplifting. It can be wonderful. Your words can, yes, it can destroy life, but it can disclose life. That's what he says. With it, we we can bless our God and Father. Or with it, we can curse men. You see that? He he, kind of comes down to this and he's presenting. He's like, do you, do you see how ridiculous it is for us to, to, to say we're blessing God with our mouth and then turn around and cuss our brother or sister, fuss at them, be, be wicked towards them with our mouth? I love, he just plainly says it. He says it like your grandma would have said it if you're from the kind of place I'm from. These things ought not to be so. You ought not do that. You know better. We know better. We know that that shouldn't be the case, that the children of God should not be speaking blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. But our words show our inner condition. He speaks about the trees here in verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? You see, our words show, words are the fruit part of being the fruit on the tree. An olive tree only bears olives. All that is inside of an olive seed, right? When you plant an olive tree, everything that's needed to grow that tree and then to produce olives is is within that seed. What's inside, it comes out, right? You can't plant one seed and get a different kind of fruit. That's not how it works. 
And what James is pointing out to us is that if what's coming out of you, it's the same thing that Jesus said, if, if the words that are coming out of you are wicked and poisonous, over time what you're proving is that you are in fact wicked. If your words are consistently wicked, you're showing the truth that you're wicked. What comes out reflects what's on the inside. You say, well, yeah, well, but didn't he say we all stumble? Yes, he did. But we must fight against it. We must struggle against it. We must constantly repent where our words have drifted from what is right and what is godly. Because our words reflect the inside. Bitter words reflect a bitter heart. Hateful words reflect a heart full of hatred. Perverse words reflect a life full of perversity. He says we sh- it shouldn't be this way. He said, we speak against other people that are made, I love this word in the New King James, in the, they're made in the similitude of God. We say, it says elsewhere, they just simply that their people are made in the image of God. Do we consider that before we talk to somebody in a way we ought not talk to them? That they're made in the image of God? Created by God in His image. One theologian said this, assaulting others verbally is a backdoor attack on God because they bear His image. Whenever we sinfully attack others with our words, we're really attacking an image bearer of God. i got to watch my words. i got to really understand and care about what I say and make sure that it's reflecting the glory of God. And so do you. So James gives us a word about... a warning really to teachers. He gives us a word about words... And then finally tonight, he gives us words on wisdom. He really tells us in the last section of this chapter about two kinds of wisdom, right? We've got two kinds of words, the kinds that bless, the kinds that curse, the kinds that are godly, the kinds that are sinful. There's also two kinds of wisdom in this world. Let me read from verse 13 through the end of the chapter. There the Bible says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James says there's two kinds of wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom and there's a godly wisdom. There's the wisdom that is from below, that he calls earthly, he calls demonic, he calls sensual. The wisdom of demons. Right? The wisdom of the world. This is the wisdom that we see trotted out in front of us every day. And people say, well, this is just, this is the way things are now. That's just, that's common knowledge. That's common practice. And we say, no, that's, that's wrong. That's wicked. They say, well, man, this has been going on for a long time. Why are you, why are you so upset about this? Because God says that the world's wisdom is at the level of the demonic. That it's, it's, it's demonic wisdom. We don't take our our marching orders from what the world has to say. It's full of bitter envy. It's full of self-seeking. It's full of boasting. It's full of lying. 
This is what we this is what we encounter. If you spend any time on the internet, if you spend any time watching television, if you spend any time in kind of out in the world, you run into this on a daily basis. The world has its wisdom, but it's a wisdom that flows from self. It's a wisdom that flows from uh, from from the from the from demonic from the demonic things. It's it's a wisdom that flows from the best thing that the best that we can come up with on our own. I want you to know that I don't want just the wisdom that I could come up with. If you just set me out out in the world and just said, okay, uh, just you know, you come up with the best way it is for you to live life and just you know, kind of figure it out, I'm going to tell you, I'd be in trouble because I've been there. And some of y'all been there too. I want to, if, if, there is a, if there is a truth that's come down to me from God, the God of the universe, who's all wise, all knowing, who has shown his love for us and his son Jesus Christ, and he has given me his wisdom in his word, I would be foolish to neglect it. There's the earthly wisdom, and then there's the wisdom that comes from above in verse 17. In comparison to that worldly wisdom that's full of bitter envy, he says this wisdom is pure. It's no mixture of evil. God's truth is pure, and it's, it's not just true, it's truth. It's the only measure of truth, and it is truth itself. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And He was the one who was called the Word. And in His Word, we have truth without mixture of error. The worldly wisdom was self-seeking. Wisdom from above is peaceable. It brings along with it peace. When God's Word reigns supreme, in a setting all will agree if they hold to God's Word. You say, well, Christians fight about things all the time. I understand that. I hang around preachers. We fuss about this and argue about that. But we do it in a good spirit. But when it comes down to the foundations of who God is and what God has done and how it is that people are saved from sin, whenever we look to the Word of God, we arrive at the same place. If we all are in agreement that we're going to seek God's Word, we should be able to come to peaceable solutions underneath its leadership. The problem comes when one party or both parties bring in, from, bring in wisdom from below. It doesn't flow from God's Word. They bring in their opinions or their traditions and they say, well, this is, this is what it ought to be because this is the way I want it. No. What's God have to say? What's, the, what's that wisdom from above telling us? That earthly wisdom is full of boasting and lying. The wisdom from above is gentle, willing to yield and full of mercy. It's wisdom that's marked by humility and meekness and love. It's a wisdom that doesn't have to beat us over the head all the time. We don't have to beat somebody over the head with it. We have to present it to them, trusting that the Spirit of God will use it as He wills. Whenever that kind of wisdom is ruling and reigning. Whenever the right kind of speech, the use of the tongue is ruling and reigning, what we end up with is an atmosphere that is ripe to be blessed of God for the kingdom of God to grow in our midst. I grew up in row crop country. My dad sells farm equipment, 
spent a lot of time riding up and down irrigation ditches, gigging frogs and shooting snakes. I've seen cotton and soybeans and corn grow. I've heard farmers complain in little gas station cafes about the weather all my life growing up. And I don't know a lot about growing crops. I just got to hear about selling tractors mostly. But there is an atmosphere, I don't understand this much at least, that's conducive to growing certain crops, right? That some crops do better in Florida than they do in Arkansas. You're not going to grow a bunch of oranges in Arkansas, most likely. You're definitely not going to grow them up north, right? There's some things that you can grow certain places that just won't grow because the conditions aren't right. And I'm, I'm bringing this to you tonight because I want you to understand, I want to make myself understand more and more and more that if we want the things we say we want, if we want to see God work in our lives, in the lives of others, in the life of our church, and in the life of our community, we've got to understand that there is an atmosphere that makes growing in righteousness more possible. And when it is happening, it makes it grow more and more bountiful. It's an atmosphere that is full of godly biblical teaching. That word to the teachers... It's an atmosphere that is full of brothers and sisters in Christ who are not afraid to speak the truth, but they always speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Not seeking to harm with our words. Letting God empower the words of our mouth. And in that same atmosphere of biblical teaching and godly words, we understand that we must be empowered by heavenly wisdom and not earthly thoughts. The Word of God has to reign supreme. If we want God to, God to do things that only God can do, then we need to submit to what it is God has told us, God has told us to do in His church. Heavenly wisdom, heavenly words, biblical teaching. This is the atmosphere for God to work in the life of a Christian, in a family, in a church, and in a community. In this atmosphere, Christians will grow. In this atmosphere, the lost person who doesn't know Jesus will come to Christ. So we must care about these truths. If we care about equipping the saints, and if we care about seeing people come to know Jesus, we must care about these things. Because as my old friend was fond of saying, it costs too much for us to think so little upon all that Christ has done for us. The blood is too precious. The mission is too important. Hell is too hot. And salvation and heaven through the shed blood of Jesus is too sweet. So let's seek to play our part in cultivating and nurturing an atmosphere of Christian growth and growth in evangelism so God might reap the harvest of lost souls to the glory of God right here in your life and my life in the life of our families in the life of our church and impacting our community and beyond. Let's be cultivators. Let's be nurturers. Let's be those who go into the fields that are white unto the harvest to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray You just use it in our midst. Strengthen us. Direct us. Lord, guard our mouths. Guard my mouth from flippant talk, from foolish talk from wasteful words. God, help us all 
to look to Your Word as our ultimate authority in all areas of life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you all.